1: Welcome to episode three hundred eight of the Barcelona podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Emile Evanesian. Emile, it's your first appearance, actually. I, I mean, I, I went back in the archives, not too far, but since Xavi has managed the game at Barcelona, three to be exact, how you yeah. feeling, especially with Real
2: Betis coming up this weekend? I know I'm I'm excited. It's uh, I'm starting my my personal Xavi era here, and uh, I mean, it's a good times so far. So <laughs> I like it. I'm you know looking forward to the Betis game, just generally. Uh, I enjoy Real Betis' contests anyway, just, you know, on their own merits. But this one in particular is really looking forward to it, actually. Yeah, I mean,
1: I cannot dislodge my memory from the goal that Messi scored back in 2019. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a ridiculous goal. And yeah, Real Betis, the Marc Bartra stuff. And
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: I mean, there's there's just so many connections always between the club. And there's so many cool days whose second club is Real Betis. It seems to always be.
2: Not yeah, only- it's a be- bit. That's kind of my my situation. I I really like them. I mean, uh, I mean, Joaquín is one of my favorite non-Barca players. I mean, I remember I watched him in the 2002 World Cup, and because he was like what I guess 19 or 20 maybe, and yeah. he was amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, Real Betis at the moment. I mean, it's interesting because in three of their last five games, they've had red cards, which is pretty yeah. like. And so, <laughs> Real Betis play a dangerous style. We'll have to say they play. Yeah. A- <laughs> and they could get themselves in trouble in a in, very quickly as many Manuel Pellegrini teams can, but <laughs> yeah, I mean I think it's going to be another good test for Barcelona because for Real Betis as well. I mean they're sitting at fifth in the table right now, yeah, three points ahead of Barcelona, and they're one point behind Sevilla. So it is a tight race at the top with that that top seven at the moment. I think Barcelona have kind of with Xavi reestablished themselves just a step ahead of Espanol and Athletic Club and the likes of Osasuna and Valencia. Um, yeah. We all bet you it's going to be a test. So unfortunately, we are not going to be really previewing. We all bet mm-hmm. anything. We're going to be talking about all the other nonsense that kind of <laughs> passed the last week. And that's what happens, right? When you give Kool-Aid too much time to when you <laughs> midweek game and you give them too much time to kind of figure out what's on Twitter, but also the Ballon d'Or. So let's hit any Ballon d'Or stuff first. Uh, we actually recorded earlier in the week while the ceremony was going on. So I did not know okay. <laughs> when, the morning, when the last our listeners heard that Pedri won the Copa Trophy for the best U21 player. Yep. I expected Alexi Puteas to win the women's Ballon d'Or. I was almost talking yeah. myself out of it with the English media who were trying to make it a story and make something of it that, oh, maybe she won't win. But she was always going to win. I knew that. Yeah. I, I called it inevitable. I felt it was inevitable. And then Messi won the men's Ballon d'Or. And I, I think there's a general consensus that Lewandowski deserves the one from 2020 that didn't happen. I think he deserved the one in 2021. And then again, Alexia and Pedri had no one near them for their trophies. But do you think I'm yeah. missing anything from the discussion? I mean, obviously, Twitter always seems to be an argument. But having said the words that I just said out loud, it doesn't feel like anything should
2: have been an argument. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think everybody's, by and large, I mean, Alexia, I think, as you said, it was always going to be someone from Barca Femini to to win the, the women's Ballon d'Or. I mean, I suppose you could have said maybe uh, Jenny Armoso or, you know, but it was was Alexia's to, not even hers to lose. I mean, it was hers that she had won and made a completely bulletproof case for for winning. And Pedri's was... I was actually
1: surprised that... Jenny actually finished second. That was actually a bigger surprise than Alexia winning the whole thing, if that's, uh, if that sounds odd at all. Just because I figured that, how is Jenny going to couple? I mean, there were so many candidates from the parts of Femini. Yes. <laughs> really going to round it out. And I figured that, that Lecky Martin wasn't going to be the one to take that step in. Same thing with mm-hmm. Sonny it's So it was have, going to have to be Jenny. But with the time she missed, I figured that Fran Kirby, just based on the voting and yeah. the I figured that Fran Kirby would finish second. So it was actually, I mean, pretty incredible to see that um, Alexia Pute is his, I mean, you know, best friend and partner, Jenny yeah. of getting second. I mean, I mean, that's just wild to me, right? I can't imagine yeah. war and having my wife get second, but it felt, yeah. <laughs> it, felt, it felt the same. Like as Messi, Xavi, and Niesta being the entire podium. I mean, it, it
2: kind of is. Yeah. It's, it's very reminiscent of that because what was it? it was, there was, well, five of them were shortlisted, right? And uh, so they made up 20% of the shortlist and took first and second. So it's pretty good. Um And I mean, I agree with you on Pedri as well. I don't know who exactly, I mean, I was reading some of the, some of the candidates who, you know, the, who rounded out, I guess, like the, the top four or five. And yeah, I don't know how you could make a case for anyone even being in Pedri's class, just given what he's done and just how, I don't know, I guess just how incredibly forcefully he's established himself from being, yeah, like a, a 17-year-old that was signed from Las Palmas and, you know, you kind of, you hope he develops into a good player. And what he's done over the past year, I don't know that there's any player that's made that kind of a leap and a contribution. And then, you know, on the men's side, I think you're right. I'm I'm surprised a little bit that the Lewandowski-Ballandor that, yeah, kind of the consensus is that 2020 should have been... Lewandowski's. Like, I'm surprised, you know, I'm going to make the the obligatory NBA reference here, but I'm surprised that there wasn't kind of a Carl Malone or Charles Barkley wins the MVP because you've done really well. We can't expect you to be better than Jordan, but by your standards, you've been ex, you know, exceptional. Yeah. Um, I mean, that being said, like it's, you know, Messi by his own standards had, I mean, I mean, it, it would be a little disingenuous to call it a ho-hum year, but he, he had, you know, just sort of a good year by his standards, and it was what like fifty-eight goal contributions or something like that between goals and assists. And we've we've said it so much it it is unfair to to judge others by the standard that Messi has set. But you know, I mean, I guess that's that's sort of where these guys find themselves. You know, you you happen to be the second to fifth best players in you know in the moment where this completely irresistible force happened upon the sport. And you know, like it stinks. I agree, Robert. Robert Lewandowski should probably have a Ballon d'Or just kind of on the on the sheer volume of everything that he's done in his career and all that he's accomplished. But I don't know, I, I find it I find it difficult to get too worked up about it.
1: Yeah, no, it's not worth anything. Yeah. I, I see Judinho on third on the list and I go, okay, well it's not worth getting worked up on. I mean yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. Madrid based media how they were obviously screaming for Karim Benzema, but he was quite a few votes behind Lewandowski and Messi, who actually were only separated by 33 votes, which is not much at all, considering that the likes of Donnarumma had 36 votes, right? Haku had 26 votes. So to say the the, the line of separation between the two was not much, and you could definitely tell that especially German media and Polish media were all behind Lewandowski for it. Yeah. It's a shame that he I think Messi also had the quote himself that he said, hey, why don't we just give this guy the one from 2020? Why did? Yeah, I think you told him. It It did (laughs) not make any sense. So, all right. I I think that puts that to bed. But, you know, I kind of say Lewandowski. I know Barcelona won't be getting Lewandowski anytime soon, but they might get another forward. So I think back (laughs) to the field and and by back to the field, I mean back to Twitter, because there was no mid, no midweek match, as I said this week. So uh, Kool-Aid's obviously had their heads turned by transfer rumors. And that's gonna happen when you have a week off, even usually it's the international break, but the three names in particular. Mm-hmm. And I think these are three names that we have to take very seriously because they keep popping up and they popped up many, many times, the exception of Arthur Cabral. But I think Arthur Cabral, will start here with him because I think you do have to take him seriously just because of what his price might be. If he's 10 million in the winter time from FC Basel, you yeah. have to take that seriously. You know, I, I wrote an article about him that he's a 23 year old Brazilian center forward. 24 goals and 25 appearances this year, plus eight. Yeah. I think the the big issues with him is that he's still a bit of an unknown, not only in the international scene, because he he even wasn't considered a major Brazilian prospect. So, you know, like there are those mm-hmm. reclamation, and you and I know basketball. So, you know, those reclamation projects, like a Josh Jackson who was drafted by the Suns, fourth overall, yeah. he'll <laughs> still bounce around because he was a fourth overall pick, or yes. Jerry Giles, right, who was a number one overall high school recruit. Why? Yes. like 11th because of knee injuries? But yep. still, I think he'll, they, those guys continue to get chances just because they showed so much.
2: Yeah, talent. someone's always going to gamble on on the sort of the pedigree and the potential.
1: Right, but Cabral actually is not that. He was not a major Brazilian prospect. He's splitting yeah. football between Sierra, CS. Kudos mm-hmm. to him He's not Brazilian and has heard of that team. And then Palmeiras. I mean, Palmeiras is a big name, but he only made two appearances for the side over six months in 2019 before moving to Switzerland. So he really didn't even become this big professional, if you will, until like 21 years old. So he has scored 62 goals and 100 appearances arriving from the 2019-20 season. Um, and I watched every goal that he scored at FC Basel. Mm-hmm. And most of them are finishing off of crosses and rebounds, either with his feet or his head. That mm-hmm. seems to be his bread and butter. Just actual, just putting the ball in the back and that finishing very much like Martin Brothwaite, almost like an upgrade if you watch both of their goal compilations. It feels like oh, a, a good call. Yeah, brothwaite to him. With a difference that Brothwaite can also play in the wing. And this guy just seems to be a guy that's going to be in the middle of the field, clogging things up and being a danger there. So uh, creating chances is not something he's going to do for himself, but that's also not the Belgrano's problem. It's finishing. Yeah. And Cabral just seems to be a prime candidate to be a guy that you get for 10 million euros to put the ball in the back of the net. I think. Emil, that there's a chance that we could immediately say, but what about Kevin Brent's Boatang? What about, and just name other forwards that came on the cheap that feel similar. But yeah. I think Cabral just seems like a bit of an upgrade to that. I mean, especially being 23 as well, he is not this known commodity that you're getting and hoping you get their best years. Cabral, you're actually just getting to be a young player who's still seemingly on the ascent. I, yeah, I agree. And
2: I, and I do think that, okay, so the Swiss league isn't you know, the the highest standard in Europe or anything, but... That'd be the worry, yeah. Yeah, but conversely, it's, you know, it's the level that he's been put in and he's doing really well at that level. It's not that he's... He he hasn't hit some sort of a ceiling. He hasn't found a a standard or a, a league. It's not like he returned to the Swiss League after trying, you know, Italy or England or something like that and flaming out. And now he's taking a second run up at at a you know move to a major league. He's thus far done you know what's been asked of him and he's a style of player that yeah he de- he doesn't strike me as sort of the the classic goal scorer that the Barca boasts and you know the the classic Barca teams tend to have but he is a lot of what this team needs and you know I mean we're still learning what you know what Xavi's Barca is going to look like and what you know how that how that attack is um going to be formulated and you know what their approach is going to be. But I do think that if this guy just has an aptitude for being there in the box, getting onto the ball and just stuffing it into the goal, needless to say, I mean, any, any club can use a player that has a nose for nose for goal and, you know, puts the ball away. This Barca team in particular needs that. I mean, because we're starting to see a little bit more encouraging play, at least, you know, in attack and things like that. But we really need it to translate into into tallies on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, encouragement and you know, positive press conferences and moral victories and stuff are great, but they, these guys need they need to score goals, they need to win games, and they need to accumulate points. And the thing is, I mean, the, the guy is still young. Yeah, I mean, he's he's only going to be twenty. I mean, he won't be twenty four until April, I see here, and he's never flamed out in a big league. So it's not like we're we're trying to necessarily. It's not like he is a reclamation project. I mean, he's he's a guy who, like you said, wasn't a highly touted Brazilian prospect, but has turned himself into a better than a goal every other game player in, if not one of the most major leagues in Europe. You know, a a Champions League worthy league in Europe. You know, and just Champions I mean, League worthy team. I mean, that's- yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, and so. You know, at the at the best team in, you know, or, or one of the best teams in, in Switzerland. And, you know, presumably, you know, Basel can find a, you know, a striker of, you know, up to their level. They decided to take a chance on him and it's it's worked out. I mean, the guy's, you know, he scored 60 and 100 or, you know, what, 62 and 100 or something. And honestly, for 10 million, given the financial constraints that Barca are still under, I do think it's a worthwhile gamble. I mean, I, I don't I don't think there's a huge risk of, a player with this kind of profile, absolutely flaming out because I think a lot of what he relies on for his goals are sort of bread and butter skills. And, and in many cases, you know, when you play on, when you play on a Barca team, you're going to be the more skilled of the two teams taking part in that game. Your teammates are going to get attention as well. There's going to be space in the box because your teammates are commanding attention and hopefully, you know, distorting the shape of the defense and There should be opportunities for a guy who can get onto the ball in front of the goal and just put it away.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: Jordan and Pippin, or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol, or PK and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash tbpod. The things that would worry me about him would just be him learning a press or learning a really complicated system. He is a, when we say 23, he's a young 23, as I said, because his professional career is Mm -hmm. actually just as long as Pedri and uh, Ansu's, right? So like, when they're 23, that's going to be an old 23 because they would have been yeah. like <laughs> seven years. He's really only, again, been a top flight professional for a little over two years. So mm-hmm. if Cabral has had this super elongated, you know, he wasn't a Brazilian prodigy like so many others, as I said, who come up at 15, 16, 17 years old or one of those, again, Santos project prospects of 17. But yeah. yeah, Cabral, his the rumor of Cabral almost has faded in the last few days just because you could tell that Barca they're calling Kareem Adeyemi. They want to try to line that one up for Red, from Red Bull Salzburg. They want to line that one up for the summertime, it seems like. And then for Kareem or for Adeyemi, it seems like he is very likely going to go to Dortmund in the place of Erland Holland when Erland Holland inevitably leaves, likely for the Premier League in the summertime. So it seems like not everything, because we read everything from a Barca perspective. Yeah. Like Erling Holland to Barcelona is almost as dead as dead could be just because yes. of the constraints. And Erwin Holland is very, very, very likely going to the Premier League. And yep. I mean, it's also another one of those reasons why there are clubs in the Premier League like a Man City who are saying, oh, OK, maybe. And we're going to get to Ferran Torres now because mm-hmm. there are clubs like Man City who say, OK, we'll get rid of Ferran Torres, but we're going to recoup as much money as we possibly can. Yeah, and we're going to get Erwin Holland. And so that means Dortmund is going to be sitting on Erwin Holland money. That means they'll likely get Adiyemi who mm-hmm. Bayern Munich wants him, if Barcelona wants him, that means that he's a player that a lot of different clubs want. So Eddie mm-hmm. nineteen will go to go to Dortmund, and then that leads Barcelona. Though I think besides Cabral and Adiyemi because that is much more of a central forward position, this Dembele, Ferran Torres stuff. So usually I don't have the main segment of our show being the last segment of our show, but it is mm-hmm. here because this is twofold. But we're asking a question: Is Ferran Torres Dembele's replacement? Is that how this is being lined up? And I think, Emil, it's safe and fair to start with the Dembele part of this. Mm-hmm. What we do know, there's a lot of nonsense and a lot of not facts out there. I think what we do know is that his agent, Sosoka Soko has already rejected an offer from Barcelona, yep. uh, and Barcelona's president, Laporta, even today, said that with his contract expiring in June, Dembele's mm-hmm. renewal, this is a quote, Dembele's renewal is going slower than we wanted. Yep. We're still working on it. We want money to stay. He could be a key player if we we'll reach an agreement. And we have seen reports that his priority to stay, provided the club increases their current offer. We've also seen reports that he has one foot out of the club or a foot and a half mm-hmm. out of the club and is going somewhere else. But I think what we do know, as much as this is 50-50, what we do know is that Barca, I think, went low with their first bid, that his agent, because his contract is up in June, does currently have the financial leverage to look, yeah. listen to other offers and say, hey, in January we could sign with somebody else already, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're going to be a free agent. So I think his agent is doing his due diligence to see if other clubs will bite on that injury record. If other clubs will bite on what Dembele could be, he's trying to see what the potential offers are. If his agent calls around and there are no competing offers, then Barcelona retakes all the leverage because he has been, that being Dembele, their injured player. And he's set up in Barcelona. He's set up in the team. He's under Xavi. And even with Ferran Torres, he would know what Xavi wants from him. So obviously, at this juncture in negotiations, you have to understand where we're at, that his agent has retaken some of that leverage Mm -hmm. to be able to say, hey, we're going to try to pay him like a Ballon d'Or candidate somewhere. And if there are no takers, they're going to come right back to Barcelona. And that renewal is going to be, you know, much closer to being done, I'd say. And I'd say it's
2: 50-50. Is that the kind of number that you think is fair for this? So one other thing that I read, I think it was yesterday or today from, I don't know if it was from his camp, but it sounds like the sort of thing that they were, it sounded like a little bit of, I don't know if it's an olive branch or just showing how they're positioning themselves in the negotiations. They said that there is no intention to leave in the winter winter transfer window. So, you know, in in that sense, it sounds like he said that he's not going to leave in January. He's going to be here through the end of the season. So it's either get a deal done or he's leaving for free in the summer. Now I understand theoretically why they think they can get Ballon d'Or candidate money for him because on the times when he is fit and, you know, firing on all cylinders. Yeah. He, he looks, he looks the part of that, but I, I don't foresee. I mean, I don't know what there is in his in the track record in these past four years, both in terms of how he's produced when he has been healthy and the frankly the dearth of time in which he has actually been healthy that would entice another club to pay top of the market values for him i mean the, if i'm another if i'm another club the only way i'm really pursuing him i mean and i understand at the same time i understand why barca you know went a little bit low with their first offer too it's he was brought in he was uh, i don't know exactly what his wages are but he's been on big wages since he arrived in barcelona and there's been Precious little return on that investment. I don't think that he. I'm, I'm not saying that he can't be great, and you know, when he when he is right on those occasions, he is really electric, and he, you know, he, he looks the part of a guy that you want front and center on your on your team. But it, there just hasn't been enough of a track record of him putting together a sustained. You know, not since he played at, at Dortmund. Has there, you know, has there been any um, track record of him putting together? A sustained run of quality play and not battling some sort of a minor injury or, you know, this or that. So, I mean, if I were Barca on the one hand, I would tell him to go ahead and I guess shop his wares and see what the market bears. And, you know, at that point, I don't know where the relationship actually lies and because if Barca can get an idea of where the market is, yeah, maybe you top it by a little bit to keep a guy that you want to keep. But at the same time, I don't know that the market for him is going to be as robust as he and his agent are. Trying to speak into reality. I mean, I just don't
1: think there are a lot of options though in world football that do what he hypothetically can do. The but the big difference again about contract leverages too, and going back to the NBA one more time, mm. that the Denver Nuggets were kind of forced to make that deal for Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Always knowing he had a back injury, always knowing he had fallen in the draft because of a back injury. In the case yeah. of La, what Demolay could do if he's healthy? That idea. I mean, even though at twenty-four, he's missed six hundred and eighty eight days of football in four and a half years, which is a lot. I mean, that's almost I mean, that's yeah, that's, that's almost a tenth of his life that he's missed, that he's, yes. missed on the <laughs> he's been recovering, he's been recuperating, he's <laughs> working out. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, what he's capable of and what he is at 24, it is kind of that put up or shut up moment in his career yeah. where he's going to have to bank on himself. And the other thing, too, and I don't know how much I do believe these reports that he feels like a change of scene might be good for him. And I mean, it's not crazy to think that he mm-hmm. had this whole career at rents and, uh, um, and uh, I mean, sorry, Renee. And he had this whole career at Dortmund for two, three years when he was becoming a professional from mm-hmm. to the French club and, and Dortmund. And he was like, okay, this is the player I'm going to be. I have this potential. And it's been five years now of not, of basically being almost the same player and not getting to that next level as much yeah. as I probably enjoy being at Barcelona. But the one thing I also ask people to do is kind of ignore, it, it's difficult to do, but ignore those reports because I, I saw one by a Catalan newspaper today. I mean, you can figure out which one of the two <laughs> it might be, about how Dembele was the last one to come to that team dinner. and Oh, God, and last night's dinner, yeah. Came an hour la- after Pedri. And once I heard, Pedri was the tip-off that that was, <laughs> that was a Catalan paper Mad Lib. Yep. So, like, which player is is late to the dinner? Was it Umtiti or was it Dembele? Or- oh, yeah, 100%. Right? And then which player was there first? Was it Pedri or was it Gabi or was it, right? And then they- Yeah,
2: made, maybe they did the Nico, players. someone like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just,
1: our, yeah. Quote, Best behavior is the one yeah. that was an hour early, right? So Pedri is perfect. Pedri is always an hour early. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is obviously an hour so, <laughs> yeah, in that, So Pedri was the tip-off, that it was an absolute mad lib of, of nonsense. So I always ask you, yeah try to ignore those stories. I mean, just think of this as a business negotiation. That is what you always have to do with these. And yeah. even if, and I understand from the Barca perspective and Shabby is himself said it, that if a player wants to be here, I want him here. And if he doesn't want to be here, get lost. And that's kind of been a prideful Barcelona adage for a long time. Yeah, we want You players that want to be here and I totally understand that. And I think all clubs should operate in that manner that they want clubs who are they want players who are going to actually be bought in and not create Further problems down the line because I mean that's what happens when you don't have and when you have players that are playing for themselves and not bought into what you're trying to build then you're going to have a different you're going to have an issue again in two years with his contract negotiations or an extension or it yeah. is at the end of the day a business decision and think of it that way now I think it's time to do the Ferran Torres part of this and the reason why we talk about Ferran Torres is Fran Vitero who the mm-hmm. CEO who said that there is a bit of money to potentially spend in January and potentially in the summer. That could be that gate revenue is done really well, even though at gate Barcelona have not exceeded the expectations they had. I think they were hoping when they back up, they'd get 60 or 70 K, but you know, having dealt with 30 to 50 K on average now with these games, I think gate revenue is again, not, not crazy to what it could be, but there might be some money to spend. And Mm. how likely do you think that there's a chance that it'll be Ferran Torres and Dembele of Dembele renewal plus Ferran Torres, or do you think that, Ferran Torres is just that inside lane bet that the club is making that Dembele is as good as gone.
2: I th- I definitely think there's a you know when I say non-zero I mean I think there's a decent chance that that is the wager that that the club is making that because going back to what you said about uh you know the the rumors or the speculation that it might you know uh Dembele might be just in search of a, a change of scenery and you know he doesn't he doesn't want this situation anymore and things like that. I mean that's entirely conceivable because as great a city as Barcelona is, and as awesome a place as it is to live, especially with, like if you have money and you know everything like that. Strictly speaking, his experience here can't have been overwhelmingly positive. Like, I mean, his there's no way that his professional experience in Barcelona has measured up to his expectations or his hopes or his aspirations, anything. So it is entirely possible that. He's going to hold out for some sort of ginormous offer. Not really, not really meet Barcelona on their own terms as far as uh, negotiating wages. And yet, maybe he's maybe he's gone in the summer. And so you do have to you do have to make some sort of plan for that. You have to have a contingency for that. At the same time, I think the only way you get Ferran Torres is if Dembélé leaves. Because I, again, I don't know that the financial state of the club has recovered to a point where you can give. Dembele a salary with which he's content at the very least, if not if not thrilled, and also what fork out some money for Ferran Torres, and then pay him too because so what is it I mean Barça have said the the numbers that I keep seeing is Barça have said I guess they can go up as high as and I don't know how accurate these are but Barça have said they can go as high as what forty million I mean they can maybe stretch it to to fifty. And I've heard at one point Man City wanted eighty. Now they might be willing to, you know, do business at sixty. I mean, that's still one. That's still a decent gap in terms of what Barca want to pay and what Man City want. Well, especially in this market, that's in a- this market, million. and because I mean, even a sixty million euro. Yeah, I mean, even a sixty million euro player in in the before times was, you know, that's a that's a serious investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to now conceivably do whatever you have to do and bend over backwards to to make this happen. I don't, I don't really know how conceivable that is, but I do think in order for it to happen, it probably necessitates Dembele's departure. So I think it's going to be one or the other.
1: Yeah. I mean, the financial part of the Ferentura stuff is the 21 year old Spaniard, I think is outside Barça's price range, as you said, but the good yeah. news is the 21 million euros that city paid him would keep the amortization on his contract until 2025 within reach. So they would, mm. that being Varsity, be in a good spot there. But yeah, the number of the clubs to, to agree is apparently, I mean, 70 million in, in installments, even. So it might yeah. be 30 up front, plus even 40 million in add ons and add ons that are easy to reach that come. Right. Yeah. Like you know, he so, plays half the games or something. Yeah. So, like yeah. That. I mean, and Listen, I understand the argument of Catino and Griezmann and having others off the wages, off the books. And that happened very quickly, right? That quick turnover of, okay, well, now this money's all freed up. And even if MLA's money is gone too, but paying in installments does make me uncomfortable. But th- that's just me too. I mean, again, I'm not a, a billion dollar company, right? So yeah. I'm the guy that neurotically pays off my credit card in full every month. I'm the one, mm-hmm. I, I only feel comfortable buying a car if I can get 85% out of pocket, or pay 85% of it out of pocket, Mm -hmm. I won't take an interest rate over 3%. So you know, the we'll pay you back for a while doesn't sit well with me personally. That's just not how I like to financially operate. But again, Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not a club that is able to take on 1.2 billion euros of debt and still manage to be able to function as a gigantic profit making global brand. (laughs) And I know I I, (laughs) that's not me. I mean, I mean, people, yeah, the Barcelona podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. We, we've we got, uh, with Xavi, it seems like we've got more listeners and people are more excited. But yeah, it's not those numbers, it's not those figures. But <laughs> Right. <laughs>
2: I mean, I think the, look, that that part actually bothers me less, especially since, I mean, if it is something structured like that, where you do 30, 40 million upfront and then whatever it is, like whether you do add-ons or incentives, or you just set up kind of a, a payment plan and over, you know, three years, four years, whatever it is, you pay it off. That doesn't bother me so much because conceivably, if we're already talking now about, given where we were six months ago, if we're talking now about Barca returning to the market, even, you know, speaking with a straight face about spending 40, 50 million on a player, there seems to be some sort of a rebound in the finances. And for sure, it's probably, yeah, it's coming. And it's not outlandish to assume that two to three years from now, as some of these contracts fall off, and you know some of the the business, you know the business kind of rebounds, in the the world ideally, hopefully, returns to you know some semblance of of normalcy. I mean, I'm guessing the the financial rebound has got to be coming in the next couple of years. So yeah, so if we're paying an extra you know seven or eight million a year for for Ferran Torres that you couldn't necessarily pony up at the time that you got him that doesn't that doesn't so much bother me it's just the idea that and honestly too he's the kind of player that is sort of worth going to the mat for i think he's you know we we talk so much about the the financial aspects of so much of this stuff but there is the point of the the excitement for the player that would be joining the club and i do think that he's the he's the caliber of player and the style of player that's there have to be some risks. You know, there's this, the, the situation in which the club finds itself, you know, you have to, you have to make some bets at some point. And, you know, this, this seems like a worthwhile wager to make. I mean, I think the, the downside is, is limited in terms of like he too, you know, we were talking about the, the style of uh, Arthur Cabral, but I mean, I think just the way that Ferran is just the way that he plays the quality that he has and the way he kind of profiles out he's not a player that's going to flame out like he's not he's not the kind of guy that you're going to spend 40 50 60 million on and he's not going to join that cavalcade of midfielders from the from the last decade who vanished or turned into pumpkins the second they arrived in Barcelona. Like this guy's going to be good. Yeah I mean I think
1: I want to take even one step further that, mm. I mean, you kind of beat me to the punch, but I really like Farron Torres and mm. I really, really like the idea of the Valencia product in Xavi's system. Uh, yeah. You know, I've, I've been doing this long enough where I, I mean, I, yeah, I get to, I get to do my victory laps because when we had Coutinho was being questioned and, and Griezmann was being questioned, I threw my hesitation out there, even Memphis. how I mean, we got it a little bit wrong, but on, mm. all- can't tell me that a front three of of potentially Ferran Torres as a false nine or Ansu, you know, and then Pedri on the left and Ferran Torres on the right is Memphis back on the bench and is he a rotation piece. I I don't know the answer to that, but mm-hmm. what you know is that if Ferran Torres arrives and is fit and is healthy, he is on that right wing for a long time. For es- yeah, I, I think he's a, a really great talent. I mean, that hat trick as a false nine with Spain lets you understand and believe. I mean, yeah. it, it was a showcase of the kind of movement that he can have with a dynamic midfield, the likes of Gabi or Pedri behind him. And it shows kind of movement and fluidity that that front three could have with the likes of Ferran Torres, as well as Ansu Fadi. And you also understand why Danny Olmo is still being, you know, that name is being thrown out there. But if I have to choose Olmo and Ferran Torres, I choose Ferran Torres if he's healthy. So, I mean, just the visual of Torres on Xavi's right wing is tantalizing, as you said, at worst.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: unfortunately, a foot injury has limited him to seven appearances this season. But he still has three goals in no those seven appearances. It should be noted too; it's not a lack of appearances due to his injury. I mean, that's mm. that's what's keeping him out. It's not a lack of trust from Guardiola, which is a big
2: difference. Where it's not that he's oh, that's huge. The, yeah, yeah. It's he's not, yeah, it's, he's he's not one of these guys that Man City has. you know, because this happens every couple of years when you know the the Man City, the accumulation of of talent becomes such that yeah. one or two world-class players ultimately find themselves out in the cold. And if not even completely out in the cold, but just kind of playing a little bit of a bit part. And even though, you know, everything they have the, they have the esteem and they're well compensated or whatever it's, it's beneath their, it's beneath their talent that, yeah, that's not what's happening here. That He's not belly aching because Pep Guardiola has kind of buried him on the bench or forgotten about him. No, it's just, he's been, he's been nicked up a little bit and that's, yeah, and I mean, I think he is. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said about the the idea of him on the right wing. I I do think the most interesting question would be what happens to to Memphis if uh, Ferran Torres does arrive.
1: Because
2: well, let me ask a question that I mean, is everyone healthy? That's, I mean, that's, well, what yeah. Does. I mean, I guess in that hypothetical, Memphis, yes. <laughs> I, mean,
1: I, I mean, not to say that, I mean, Brothway, potentially back in January, again, Pedri yeah. and Gabi, where's all that going to fit together? And then Ansu coming back as well. But we keep saying they're coming back. We keep saying yeah. that, but Memphis doesn't come off the field. So it feels like yeah. you don't need just one player like Dembele or Fati or Pedri coming back, but you need multiple players to come back to even yeah. have Memphis get subbed off the field. I mean, that's what we're talking about. So yeah. I think it would affect in the near term. It wouldn't affect it. Now, if you bring Adeyemi in the summer, yeah, now you're asking questions of how do you fit Memphis, Torres, Ansu, and Adeyemi uh, with the assumption that Dembele is gone. And yes. those are good problems to have down the road. But, I mean, with the injury, not that Faron doesn't have a major injury history, but with the injury, yeah. he's into the foot, which is a tough injury in, in the game of football. And then with Memphis, who, believe it or not, has usually had an injury bug. Who's been completely healthy for Barca, fortunately, and Ansu, mm-hmm. as we know, cannot really stay healthy right now. You hope that he can come back and just just stay on the field for a long time. But yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to have to call Ansu injury prone until further notice, until he plays mm-hmm. almost a full season. So Different. yeah, I mean Ferran Torres, it's not even that he'd be insurance, but to have three or four attackers that you do actually trust up top would put them in a good spot, and the other thing that I do worry about at this point, we're talking about this Ferran stuff, is mm. you know, as Kool Aid's, because Barca usually have the financial metal to talk themselves into players. I yeah. can find myself saying, hey. You know, how many have I got wrong, right? Eric Garcia and Sergino Des. maybe I've got those wrong. Maybe I was a little biased on those. But, you know, generally, if there's a player I really, really like, like Frankie DeYoung, I -hmm. yelled about. Pedri I yelled about. There were players that I've yelled about before in the academy. I, 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 Actually, the last part of our show, I'll preview it now. It's just going to be the YouTube video that I came out with about the new rising stars, about the Mm -hmm. next I think Xavi could call up. And, you know, generally, I get those right, too. So I have to say that, you know, I, I, I'm i going to put my endorsement behind Ferran Torres, right? Like, as if mm-hmm. he was running for public office. But what I can't endorse is, how, again, how likely this is. We know that Mateo Alamani was in Manchester talking to an old friend in Ferran Soriano, as well as Shippen mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But the journalist that is pushed, and very rarely do I bring up the names of journalists, but it was Gerard Mur- Romero who pushed this the hardest. And what I will say about Romero is that he is about as reliable as a supermarket meat that is said that says like still good on it. (laughs) Like that's about how reliable Romero is where you go to the supermarket. And if your meat says still good, I don't know if you want to bring that home with you. You know, (laughs) that said, Jared, I want to believe you and I want to take a chance on you, but I can't believe you. You know, he says that Torres had accepted a five-year contract and a lower salary, which actually could be very true that the player has already agreed to make the move and has agreed to the contract and the lower salary because he wants to come back to Spain. Apparently, he decided not to leave Valencia for quite some time, where he could have gone when he was 18 or 19, but he stuck around until he was, what, I think, yeah, well, he just turned 19, or he had already turned 19, he was turning 20 when he went to Man City.
2: Something like that, yeah.
1: There could be a chance that he does want to return to Spain. And that's an honest thing that he wants to do and he wants to return and play for Barcelona. And those things could all be true. And the player could also agree to the contract, but the clubs don't reach an agreement. Well, exactly, yeah. So I actually don't think Romero is going on, you know, on too much of a limb to say that, hey, you know, I-, I think the player I- is going to want to come here and this is going to happen. But it's going to happen on the players' accord. It doesn't mean that Man City has to agree to a gosh darn thing.
2: No, exactly. I mean, because that's, it's always, we've talked about this before in different contexts and about different players, but you know, every transfer, unless, you know, unless a guy is out of contract, unless the guy's a, a purely a free agent is, you know, the, it's a three-way agreement. There's three parties have to be happy with, with everything. So, you know, Barca can be delighted that, that they want to get Ferran Torres. Ferran Torres can, yeah, agree to a lower wage and, you know, kind of say all the right things and, and truly mean them and want to come back to Spain and, you know, it'll only be three hours from Valencia and everything, great. But if Man City are like, no, we still have you under contract and, you know, we, we value you at at least 60 million. <laughs> so we're just, we're not just going to, you know, like we're not just in the, the feel-good business. Like we, we do actually want some compensation for, for one of our ultra-talented players leaving. Yeah, and you have to, you got to get there somehow. And that's where I do think the... I think they end up buying him kind of on installments. You know I mean? I think they, um, you probably do end up agreeing to maybe like a, a 60-ish, maybe a 60, 65 number. And I'm guessing Barca maybe pony up 30 to 40 up front and, you know, probably some some combination of incentives and add-ons or, and also just a simply a deferred deferred payoff schedule, like however they want to set that up. You know, as we were talking about it, we were talking about his age and his development and everything like that. And I don't mean this in terms of a, like, you know, old on his body, but uh, Ferran Torres is like an old 21, almost 22. And that I feel like I've, like, I feel like I've known about this man and like, and spoken about him for like a decade. But I well,
1: uh, to Barcelona, since he
2: made his Valencia
1: debut at 17. So he was one of those names that was linked yeah. way back in the day. Even again, we're talking three, four years ago. And then he became a pretty good player at Valencia. And then between the, the Spain national international team, uh, the Spain team, mm-hmm. in, in not necessarily the Euro, but in those other appearances he's made without without European qualifying, yep. plus his time and brief time at Man City, he has kind of taken that next level. And again, I think it's his his success from Valencia to Man City kind of quiet your heart and let you know that it wasn't just a system thing. It's that he Mm -hmm. actually had to play much more defensive at Valencia when, and he was at Valencia when they had to sell him, they were forced to sell him and they were playing that very defensive 4-4-2 and they were leaving holes, but he was still doing the work defensively and harboring such a gigantic load up top of, you know, basically Valencia saying, Hey, we need to stay up Farron and we need you at 19 to make sure we stay up in the division. And so he has taken that responsibility for his hometown club, But then going to Man City, just being one of the players that is rotated and almost again, if everything comes out well and everybody stays healthy, and even if Dembele renews, (laughs) Ferran Torres has played a role at Man City that he would optimally play in this four to five man forward line that Barcelona could potentially throw out there. Uh, And so, you know, that kind of even versatility in his role in the squad. But I think he would be the starter. And as I have said many times about Dembele, as much as Dembele, you'd, maybe you'd love to see him for 60 minutes, I think he is the most dangerous 40 minute player there is in the entire world. And if you yeah. started Memphis, Ansu, and Ferran Torres, and Dembele is your fourth option, I mean, that is a, that is the best four in the world. You, I mean, because I mean, cause again, again, you have Neymar, who's always hurt, and Messi and Kylian Mbappe. I understand that's tantalizing. And yep. no matter where Erlen Holland goes, that changes the balance of power but I would take that four-some over any other
2: four-word line in the world, honestly. You know, if everybody is, yeah, if everyone's healthy and kind of on form, I I think that makes a lot of sense because there are complementary skill sets and just, I mean, Mm -hmm. extreme highs in quality as well. Just, I mean, these are supremely talented players who are uh, complementary to one another. And I agree with you in the sense, I mean, I would not mind if, and now, you know, Mr. Dembélé might mind, but I would not mind if Dembélé got the last half hour of every game um, because he is exactly the kind of dude that comes in and it's been a long game, and you know the the defenders are tired, or you know the the opposing midfield is tired. Well, he and, does the same thing that
1: Ansu does in terms of you know going back. As much as we've been very complimentary of Abde and yeah. Abde good as well against Villarreal, mm-hmm. the gravity of Dembélé he just forces defenses to. Yeah. Pass double him even if he doesn't do the right thing even because they don't know what he's going to do he doesn't know what yeah. he's going to do and so they have to bring the extra help and again the same thing with ansu that the shooting lays that memphis isn't getting because memphis is, is, is putting up shots with two defenders within the area if you have the gravity of ansu and the gravity of dembele especially dembele against tired defenders yep. no shot there's just going to be huge swaths i mean the, the the sheer number of comebacks that Barca have had in the last four to five years Barca could have those number of comebacks in a matter of a month. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's also saying that the defense is also
2: conceding those those early chances, which is also still very possible. You know, I mean that look, that that possibility is very much in play because they are conceding chances and um they are dodging some bullets right now. And I, I do feel like that is maybe one of the the next horizons for the uh the Javi era is to, yeah. I don't know if it's, I mean, there's of course going to probably be some personnel changes, but I think also just some manner of tactical overhaul in, in the, in the defense. I actually read an article uh, yesterday or today, but basically just talking about how, and they were using the Villarreal game as, as an example, how apparently Eric Garcia's, you know, and you could just by watching Eric Garcia's mandate was to, just follow Moy gomez around so Moy gomez would just like drag him out of the out of the the right back spot and so there would just be like these chasms behind you know and so i mean i think tactically there's you know and and the the article was essentially uh, talking about how maybe someone else but chelsea in particular as an example of Play man to man like that up until maybe the the midfield stripe, but you can't you can't kind of open yourself up to, to that kind of thing. But I think the gone a bit of field of the actual question. But I think the like you said, there has to be two people dedicated to him because the one thing that he has that doesn't slump when he's healthy is speed, and it's one of those things like you don't have to worry about moves coming off or skills or anything. Like that this is I can put my feet in the ground faster than you can, and I will leave you in the dust when I do it. And so, I, I do like your your conception of the the four man attack. If they can make the finances work and make the make the medicals work and everything like that, I mean, I do think that would actually be yeah. I mean, it would probably be even taking into account wherever Erling Holland winds up and you know greater health by you know for Neymar at PSG and things like that. It would still probably be a top three front line in the world. I think.
1: Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it would immediately jump into the likes with Karim Benzema and Vinicius Jr. And you're wondering how good Barca could be. And if Aaron Torres does come in January, that does change a lot. It does change the calculus because Barca have basically not had dead for the first half of the season. They've mm-hmm. not had body for the first half of the season. So for Barca, I mean, just the big picture there is that if Aaron comes in, if Torres comes in January, somehow Barca is able to get that deal done. And the likes of Pedri and Ansu potentially are returning in January too. I mean, F- uh, Fati could be back actually next week, but we'll have to see, or a week and a half or something like that, potentially back for Bayern. But yeah, then Barcelona are in seventh place and they're actually not in a good spot to win the league. I think Real Madrid still wins the league at this juncture, but mm. now top four is looking, I mean, likely, I mean, because the team should be that talented. So, all right, uh, I I think that'll wrap it up for another edition of the show. Uh, we have back to football, which is good <laughs> because yes. we have Betis and Bayern Munich. Now the matches are getting even more stressful again. And Barca could unfortunately be out of the Champions League this time next Wednesday. And now we're kind of changing the expectations and the calculus for the season. But again, we'll cross those negative bridges when we have to. But for now, we want to thank everyone for joining the show. Twitter and Instagram at the on the Pod. Close Facebook group, Patreon, YouTube. You know all the different places. And I have to say, on YouTube... The final part of this show, as I said, thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Barcelona podcast, the audio version. I'm going to end the show here. I laid down the audio from the YouTube video about the Rising Stars. I know there are some ple- people, I mean, our listeners who want to hear about that next generation. We talked about center backs, so I'd make sure I do, uh, I'll give away that I did talk about Mika Marmol. I did talk about Diego Almeida. I think they're two high potential players that could potentially be looked at by Xavi as, you know, de- again, depending on the January transfer window. If Leng and Umtiti leave, now that center back core is looking very, very thin. And yep. then you're one or two injuries away from calling up somebody from Barca B or even the Juvenile Ah, So I thought the name's you there. So let's end with that audio now. Here we go. Pedri, Ansu Fati, Sergino Dest, Ronald Araujo, Gabi, Nico Gonzalez, Ricky Pooj, Yusuf Demir, Eric Garcia, Oscar Mangeitha, Alex Balde, Eze Abde, Elias Sakomash, Alex Cayado, Inaki Pena, Arnaud Tanas that's 16 names of players 22 years or younger with the exception of Cayado, who have been on the first team bench at least once this season some of you may have already seen that dream team video that i made a few weeks ago where i covered all of these names with the exception of easy Abde and Ilasha shakomas because they were just promoted to the first team basically in the last few weeks so i won't do it again here and for regular listeners of the podcast you know that the current squad of very very young players and then veterans who are close to the twilight of their career has been a slow, painful process. There's a lot of bad decisions along the way, so we don't need to rehash that here either. Instead, because new manager Xavi can bring up any La Masia player that he sees fit into his system, I've decided to release my biannual La Masia Rising Stars video a little bit early, because I want to get ahead of that next player that Xavi's gonna be looking at. Especially with the club not having too much to spend in January. All reinforcements are either gonna come from injuries, that being Ansu Fati, Pedri, Brothwaite, maybe a 10 million euro transfer in there, but largely the rest could be La Masia players who could fill a need in the Copa del Rey or some other La Liga match when something is decided, we'll have to say, in April or May. So without further ado, let's get into it. First on my list is Honda Oriana, and those who've been following this channel and have watched my La Masia rising stars every six months or so for the last few years, You know that there will be repeat names on this list because as players get older and they stay with the club but they haven't debuted for the first team, they do get closer and closer to making that jump. And in the case of Hunter Oriana, unlike some of the other names on this list that are repeats, Oriana is actually an unfortunate case of being repeated. Having dealt with injuries on and off last season, missing six matches to an ankle injury plus starts and stops in getting his match fitness made for a frustrating year under Garcia Pimienta last season. It likely didn't help that he would bounce back and forth between the pivot and an interior, swapping spots regularly with Nico, as the latter began to be groomed to audition for the pivot job of the first team. This season has been more of the injury bug for the defensive midfielder, with a muscle injury keeping him out from the beginning of November until at least the start of 2022. It would be a shame if all that missed time is the reason why the 21-year-old never gets a reasonable chance under Xavi. Xavi can try to be patient with him, but that midfield depth chart is deep. The big thing that I think Jandro still has going for him is with upcoming Copa del Rey matches and Sergio Busquets and Frankie de Jong potentially at those pivot spots needing some rotation, Hondro still perfectly fits that mold and he probably is the most first team ready to jump into a pivot spot if Nico is still considered in interior. And I can see Hondro filling in in that 3-4-3 that Xavi wants to play, especially with the young players and rotation in Copa del Rey. And for Handro Orellana, it does feel a bit like it's now or never. We do have to wait another month for him to return. And the spring is going to say a lot about his future. Two is Miko Marmol. All right, all right. Long time viewers of this channel will have a pretty good gripe that the first two are clear cut repeats. But that's because I think and honestly believe that these two are the next two in line. We did talk about Marmol on the last edition of the podcast. So make sure you check that out and then come back here so we can talk about Marmol. The now 20-year-old is on this list over partner Arnal Comas because he's been the mark of consistency this season for Barca B, playing more minutes than anybody else under Sergi Barzouan. He's left-footed and played at left-back for most of his career, and made quite the rounds in Catalonia. He was a member of the first-ever pre-Benjamin class in La Masia, before stops at Yabaki Teresa, the childhood club Busquets and Ricky Puig, and CF Dom and Yabak again. In 2018, he returned to Barca's academy and has gone from versatile left-back or left-center-back to arguably the most important player at Barca B. The now full-time centre-back has grown into his body quite a bit, and it's that left foot that could have Xavi taking a look at him. Come January, and then Lay and or Umtiti is in fact sold, and Xavi still wants to play a 3-4-3 with 3 centre-backs, I could see Marmol easily being an option for a Copa del Rey match or two. 3 is Diego Almeida. Let's stick with the centre-backs because I want to catch this star before it burns too bright. Diego Almeida has been discussed on the podcast, on this channel or on the website for a number of years now, and his ascent has not slowed. All the way back in 2018, I wrote for Barca Blog that even at 14, he was showing great promise, and I kind of broke my own rule about considering the potential of players under the age of 16. Well, three years later, and he's still right on track, but even more so. Born in Rubi, Spain, 15 kilometers from Barcelona, two Ecuadorian parents, he's just accepted a call to the full Ecuador national team for a friendly against El Salvador this week after playing for both Ecuador and primarily Spain at the East level. He could still opt to play for Spain, but a call to a full international squad is a pretty big deal. At 17, he's yet to make an appearance for Barca B, but over the weekend, reported Spanish journalist Albert Roj did mention that he was playing a very similar position that we saw Eric Garcia play against Villarreal, which is that right center-back spot, but really has to defend out wide, but we'll step into the midfield in the buildup as this inverted defensive midfield slash center back position, but as I said, defend out wide, which does ask a lot about a player to be versatile enough to do all those different things. And it's really telling that Almeida at Juvenal A was given the task to basically learn this position, and I'd say Xavi's position. And that's the main reason why I had to put him on this list now. Is Xavi already giving instructions to the U19s? to look at that next center back option at the right center back spot that Xavi wants. I couple that with the interest of PSG and Bayer Leverkusen, and Diego Almeida could be a case of a player who does play for Barca B eventually, but he might get a first team call up before he gets called up to Barca B, as odd as that is. The other thing that calms me about this transfer talk is that Almeida has been with Barca since the pre-Benjamin level, so it'd be a surprise to see him leave this close to the first team. In my honest opinion, he's been the best passing center back in the academy for at least the last five years. And that's an overwhelming skill that may come in handy soon. Four is on Alakan, and it's a fourth repeat because these players are getting better and better, but Alakan is cheating a little bit. I'll explain what I mean in a second. And for our fifth entry coming up next, I will give three names just to make sure I'm fair about this. It is surprising that I'm continuing to put the 17 old Alakan on this list because he hasn't actually played since the last edition of the Salama Rising Stars over the summertime, he's been out with a long-term knee injury. But I still had to put Alakon here, because he's still a few months younger than Almeida, and he's already made four appearances with Barca B. Unfortunately, yes, all of those did come last season, and he's been dealing with a serious knee injury, and he hasn't been back on the field yet. He could return in January, but I think he'll spend the rest of the season on the left wing for Juvenil A, and maybe he can return to Barca B if things go well. He may be a future number nine, or he could stay on the left wing. And looking at the way that the first team is made up, I could see Xavi taking a hard look at Alakan for some left-wing appearances as early as next season. There really aren't that many natural left-wingers, or right-wingers for that matter, in the first team. And the fact that Alakan is a wide forward that does have some finishing product makes me believe that if he can come, and it's a big if, if he can come back healthy, that he's immediately going to vault right back into that conversation for a potential first team call-up. That's what keeps him on this list and continues to make him a rising star, even on the sideline. Alright, let's stick with Huvenel Ah for the last trio, even though I do throw in an additional name here too. So it's just a hodgepodge at the end of names that I think you need to know. And the reason I stuck with Huvenel Ah is because this is a different video than the Masia Rising Stars that I usually do. The likes of Lamine Yamal and Arnau Pradas are exciting, but they are many years away from the first team. So I really wanted to stick with that 17 or older group. Because I've been proven by the likes of Gabi, by the likes of Ansu, by the likes of Pedri, that now 16-17 is the time that this kind of squad without the financial medal to bring in other talents might be relying on these youngsters. And the trio I picked play three different positions, and two of the three are pretty deep down that midfield depth chart. But as Gabi showed us, you could leapfrog anybody as long as you're good enough. So in the case of Gabi, let's go with two of his former teammates, captain of the U19's defensive midfielder, Marc Casado, and attacking midfielder, Chus Alba. Chiusaba has been on this list before and I'm putting him here again because the first team could see a few exits and all of a sudden, the 18-year-old is being looked at in a Copa del Rey match as one of the high interiors. He is the skill set of a luxury number 10, but fortunately for him, he's learned how to play as an interior and that'll suit him well. Casado, meanwhile, is probably behind Hondro and Alvaro San for Xavi to take seriously as a potential pivot, but the 18-year-old may have more potential than those two. And yeah, is only a year younger than Nico. To remind people how good they are, they are two of the primary reasons at that age level why the club was comfortable letting Xavi Simmons go to PSG and not fighting harder to keep him a few years ago. Casado and Ilesh Garrido, another 18-year-old midfielder I'm adding for a quick bonus, have been called up to the Barca B bench recently and those debuts are coming. And last but not least, here's a name that Kool-Aids are just getting used to and that's 18-year-old Estanis Pedrola. The former Espanol and Royce player joined the Juvenel A team over the summer, and while there wasn't a lot of high points for the U19s in the UEFA Youth League, which they're already eliminated from, Pedrola certainly stood out. He's a traditional right winger, fast and confident in 1v1s, and he hugs the touchline. I know we're just getting to know Abde, but Pedrola looks like Abde. He's made two appearances for Barca B, starting the last one, and don't be surprised if you see more of him very soon. Because Pedrola did join up with Juvenal A, which is part of the La Masia umbrella and doesn't have to do that weird argument thing about Barca B, we're going to consider him a La Masia product. But for Pedrola, at 18, he's kind of already getting to the point where he might be ready for the first teen. And as I keep saying about those ages, at 18, he fits almost somewhere in the middle of that dream teen generation. So I would say Pedrola, next to Abde or Demir or Ilash Komash is another one of those options that Shabby's probably taking a hard look at. So that'll do it. I guess four main names, and then three, four, five, six other names there at the end. And I know these videos aren't for everybody. So if you do like these kind of videos, make sure you give this video a like, subscribe to the channel. And as always, until next time for Sibarsa.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why?